like ours where everyone does their part and everyone serves in some way. I was just overwhelmed with just seeing everybody was engaged in some way and serving in some fashion this past weekend or last week. And what a privilege that is. What a joy that is. It's, it's also rare. I was talking to a few other friends about this this coming this past week as I was on the phone with some other pastors and telling them about that. They were like, what, you went the whole weekend? Like the whole church? That's weird. I'm like, yeah, but it was awesome. They're like, boy, we'd love to do that. And it's like, yeah, that would be good. But they, um, they were also shocked when I was telling them, yeah, everybody is involved in some way. And we're thankful that you're a church family that you are the body and every member does his part and each part working together builds itself up and, and, and causes the body to grow. So thank you for doing that. And there's some people that I want to specifically thank and I've got a list. I'll have to look so I don't leave. I'm probably still going to leave people out. Um, there are so many people who were central to planning and organizing. Um, the kids' ministry was probably the biggest area. And if I call your name, can you stand up and just for a minute and stay standing? We had John Pactor, Anna McCarnan, Ashley Pruitt. Those were the main children's ministry. Can you guys and ladies stand up? We're going to keep going. Uh, Ash, uh, so Mike Nicosia, Jolie X-Line, Steve Villa, Philip Pruitt, of course, Jared Alexander, Tim Bolognone, Eldris Jana, Kaylin Campbell, Colleen Campbell, Lena Campbell, Julie, my wife, and then last but not least, Aaron, who organized everything and did all the administrations. You guys all stand and let's say thank you. It's, it's a joy to be a church family. It's a joy to have times like that of extended fellowship and fun and worshiping God. And so thank you. And I'm just looking forward to seeing the fruit that God's going to continue to bear from last weekend. So now before we get started in our sermon, today, right now actually, just four minutes ago, we, we, one of the churches that we help fund, that we support financially every month, is a church called The Well. It's a plant. It's a brand new church plant, The Well Church of Americas. And in case you're wondering, Americas is, is a place in Georgia. I've never heard of it before. My friend John Schroeder decided that he wanted to plant a church there. But the Well Church in America's Georgia, and we have the privilege of supporting them. They have been gathering together. They have found a place to meet. They have been forming their core team, teaching, equipping them. And today is their very first Sunday. Right now, 1030, they just began to meet and I love that we get to partner together with them. I love that we get to be a part of what they do. I'm not sure if we have the, their vision, their values up there, their mission. But if we, yeah, you can't see it very well, but that's a, that's a busy slide. We'll, we'll make that available to you, maybe a length and grace mail. But their mission is to walk with God and others, welcoming those far from him. What a privilege we get to partner together on that mission. Their vision is to meet people where they are, to take them to where Jesus is. I love that. Not to leave them where they are, but meet people where they are, to take them to where Jesus is. And then their values are gospel centrality, intentionality, transparency, biblical spiritual seriousness, and then multi-ethnic multiplication. We are excited that we get to partner together and excited about this new church plant in America's Georgia. If you want to visit, it is a few hours from here, about three hours or so. They are meeting right now. So I thought we could take time, just a minute, to pray for them. So let's just bow our heads and let's just join together in prayer. So... Father, we come to you and we thank you that like the early church, we get to partner together with your ongoing mission to make disciples of every nation. Lord, even to the ends of the earth, even to the ends of Georgia and Americas, 
God, we are grateful that we get to partner together on this mission. And Father, we pray that as they are beginning their service, that you would bless them in their time of worship, that you would draw people's hearts and minds to you, and that you would be exalted and glorified in their meeting. God, I pray that as John preaches his first sermon there, that you would empower John by your Holy Spirit. Pray that people who don't know you would come to know you. I pray that believers there would be strengthened. God, we pray for all the details that have to happen throughout this morning for them, that you would give them favor and grace, that you would strengthen them. God, would you encourage them in the faith? Lord, we pray that you, this church plant would be all about you, not about us, not about them, but about you building your kingdom in America. So God, would you use them and their efforts to mightily build your kingdom in America's Georgia and bring many to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Oh, before we go there, whoops, forgot about the New City Catechism today. Anybody like to, we had, we had a wonderful recitation. We had two people last Sunday. One, I put on the spot and made her sing it. She sang the Apostles' Creed last week, and then uh, Griffin had been preparing for weeks in advance, memorizing it as well. So anyone want to take a chance, take a stab at telling us what the New City Catechism question about what do justification and sanctification mean? Anybody wants to tell us that, recite that for us? Okay, everybody's probably a little tired from last week, renew, wore people out. What do justification and sanctification mean? To remind you, justification means our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. Sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. And this week's question that we're going to recite together is, should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? Let's recite it together. No, they should not as everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. To seek salvation through good works is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. Everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. What a wonderful privilege to meditate on today. Turn your Bibles now to 1 Thessalonians. We're nearing the end, but we've been slowing down. Because Paul, he has been concerned for the church there and he wants to instruct them about what it looks like to walk out their faith, to live out their faith. And so he's giving command after command after command. And this week we're going to look at just three little commands in three little verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. So let's read God's holy inspired word together. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray again. God, thank you that you don't leave us alone. Thank you that you want what is good for us. Thank you whenever you give us commands, they are commands for our good commands to increase our enjoyment and our satisfaction in you. So God, I pray that we would, we would receive these commands, Lord, not as duty, but as, as ways we get to delight in you, ways to delight in you. 
God, would you give us your grace to hear? Would you give us your grace to respond? I pray that you would enable me to preach by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There are only three commands in these verses. Three commands. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Doesn't take a lot to understand what he's trying to talk about. Three commands. Let me ask you of each of those commands, how are you doing? It says rejoice always. I want us to ask ourselves, how are we doing? Are, are, are we rejoicing always? Always? Rejoice always. He says pray without ceasing or pray nonstop. Pray continually. Pray and don't quit. How are you doing with praying and not quitting? I mean, in asking that, I'm aware that in this room, most people would probably say, I don't pray enough. That's the general answer. I don't pray enough. But we're not talking about some legalistic, just once and done kind of prayer, but rejoice always, pray continuously. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if I'm going to evaluate myself, and I took a little test, and I was going to fill out percentages, my percentages would be on the low end of obedience. How about you? Where would you, where would you fall? When you hear these commands, the other question is, when you hear these commands, how do you react? How do you react? When you hear the command, rejoice always, you think, yeah, right. Paul, you're not realistic. When you hear the command, pray continually, you're like, well, but that wouldn't get anything done. Or maybe when you hear, give thanks in all circumstances, you're like, yeah, but circumstances stink. Those would be normal, normal, real objections. These are simple commands, but they're not easy. This church that Paul's writing to, they would have had their leaders immediately persecuted to become, after they became believers. The church immediately faced persecution, ostracism. They immediately were persecuted by the Jews, ignored by the Greeks and Romans. They immediately would have felt the effects. Being a Christian didn't make life easier for them. So why does Paul tell them? Why does God have Paul write to them and then why does the Holy Spirit deliver this to us? Why does he give us these commands to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks? Is it so we can feel guilty? You know, that's, that's often a response. I, I'm not doing good enough in these areas. Thanks a lot. You just made me feel more guilty this morning. You made gave a bigger burden to me. No, that's not what he's doing here. And that's not the goal for the Lord for us today either. You see, this is God's will for us, this constant state of mind of, of rejoicing always, of praying ceaselessly, of giving thanks in all things. This is the goal of the Christian life. He says, this is God's will. The point of the Christian life is for us to live like this, this constant state of mind, because we're in Christ Jesus. That's, that's how we can do this. Because we're in Christ Jesus, the main idea is that because we're in Christ Jesus, God wants us to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks all the time. He wants us to do those things. And you have to wonder, well, why does God want us to do this? Is, what's he after here? You know, I've noticed the older I get, the more serious I've gotten. Now, some of that can be good, right? You know, you can be a serious student of God's word. You can be serious about your faith. You can be serious about your responsibilities. You can be serious about discipleship. You can be serious about loving God and our neighbor. But what's concerning is when we allow our seriousness to cloud our joy, and what's concerning is that we can let the seriousness of life keep us from serious joy. 
the, the Apostle Paul and God is not writing to us because he wants to condemn us and makes us weighed down, but because God actually wants us to have joy, to live the kind of life where we're always rejoicing, where we're always in communication with God, and where we're always filled with thanks because we're aware of who we are in Christ. But let's be realistic. There's, there's a lot of barriers to rejoicing, aren't there? There's a lot of, it's easy for the cares of this life, the cares of this world, the, the economy, politics, difficulties, just aches and pains when you wake up in the morning, when you get up from sitting in a chair after a couple hours and you're like, that didn't hurt when I sat down. Why is it so stiff now? We can easily be more aware of those things and we can meditate on them. But what we meditate and what we feed on, it has an effect on our attitude, our, our demeanor, our outlook, how we live, our perspective. And that was true for the Thessalonian church. They were surrounded by ungodly perspectives. They were surrounded by challenges and difficulties. Things had gotten harder, not easier from one perspective. I think that's true for us too, right? If you're honest. But the Apostle Paul, he gives them this little command at the very beginning. He says, rejoice all the time. You know, if you're coming up in that line, it's not very hard, right? This passage is so clear. Rejoice all the time. But what does that mean? Really, Paul? Always? Paul, is this just hyperbole? You ever wonder, like, this is just hyperbole? Do you roll your, are you tempted to, like, roll your eyes? Like when your, your parents say, you need to be happy, and you're like, okay, sure. And, and you wonder, what about when things are wrong, when things are not okay, when there's conflict? That's the realities of life. Things are wrong sometimes. Things aren't always okay. There is conflict. And yet, Paul can still write, God can still write to saying, rejoice always or always be joyful. What that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean putting on a fake smile. We don't want to be the kind of people, Christians are not called to be the kind of people who fake it till you make it. We're not called to put on a, a fake smile. The idea of pretending it's repulsive. Right? The idea of, of being plasticky and pretending I'm joyful right now. No, pretense is repulsive. But you know what else is really repulsive? It's Christians pretending by believing the lie that the world and the cares of this world are greater than God. That's what's, that's what's really repulsive is for us as Christians to believe that the world and the troubles of this world and the cares of this world, that they're, they're greater than the hope we have in Christ. But let me ask you, have you believed the lie the troubles and cares and worries and concerns are greater than the joy you have in Christ. And a little litmus test is how, how are you living day by day? Are you, what are you more aware of? You know, we don't rejoice that bad things happen. We don't rejoice that, that we are sick. We don't rejoice over lost and damaged relationships. We don't rejoice that, that life is difficult. We don't rejoice that things turn out differently than we expected at this point in our lives. But we rejoice despite those things because we have a greater reality you know the things of this world are passing? That's what the Bible says. They're transient. They're passing. This life is but a vapor. But we can rejoice always because we have reason to rejoice. And the Apostle Paul, he has given the Thessalonians some serious reasons to rejoice in the letter so far. In, in 1 Thessalonians 1, the very beginning in, in verses 4 and 5, he, he gives them reasons to rejoice. He says, for we know, brothers, loved by God... And by the way, brothers and sisters there. We know brothers and sisters loved by God. Did you know 
that you're loved by God. The most glorious, worthy, mighty, all-loving, gracious, generous being in the entire, more than the universe, all of creation. You're loved by God. That's astounding because we aren't lovely on our own. We're loved by God. And then he says that he's chosen you. This God who you are loved by, he chose you, not because of anything you did, but because he chose to set his love on you, even though you were sinful and you were against him, even though you are his enemy by nature, deserving his wrath, he has loved you and he's chosen you. Does that give you joy? And he says the gospel came not just in word, but in power. You see, the, the good news of the gospel, it's at work in you. God's word is at work in you powerfully. And it didn't come alone. It came with the Holy Spirit in full conviction. Not only that, if you go, keep going down to verse 10 of, of, verse of chapter 1. Paul reminds us of more reasons for joy. He says, we are waiting for the Son from heaven. Jesus is coming back. And he's been raised from the dead. That means that everything that he did has been vindicated by his resurrection. That, that he said that in him is life. In him is forgiveness of sins. And he's been raised from the dead. And, and not only that, he delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a wrath to come, but he delivers us from that. We have reasons to be joyful that are far more real than the things we're aware of here. Not only that, he says in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, God calls you into his own kingdom. We have reasons to rejoice. This is not our kingdom. This is not our home. He calls us into his own kingdom. This world doesn't reign supreme. The devil doesn't reign supreme. Demonic forces don't reign supreme. Sickness and disease don't reign supreme. But God does in his kingdom, and he calls us into his kingdom where he rules. He reigns, and he calls us into his glory, not our feeble glory, 3.3 3 says that, that he encourages them, in the, even in the middle of afflictions, we can be rejoicing in afflictions. He says that, I want you to, no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And you're like, well, wait a minute, that's not really encouraging. But it is, because we know that no affliction is outside of God's control. No affliction is outside of God's hand. No affliction is outside of his sovereignty. And because he loves us, he has good purposes for us, and he will sustain us. And in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 8, it says, God gives his Holy Spirit to you. You have the same exact spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He lives inside of you. He is always with you. He is the counselor. He's the comforter. He's constantly available, constantly on call. He has his hours are 24-7. The Holy Spirit is constantly with you. We have reason to rejoice. These are objectively true reasons. Not only that, he told us about the fact that even those who have died in Christ will one day be with him as we will as well. And he, and he tells us, he promises that we who are alive, who are left, we caught up together in the clouds, will meet the Lord in the air and we will always be with the Lord. We have reason to rejoice. This world is not all there is. That's how we can rejoice always. The problem is we have barriers of rejoicing, don't we? There's some barriers to rejoicing. Things cloud our perspective. They bog our thoughts and our emotions down. 
when we experience trials and difficulties, we think that those things are lasting. And they last, but just for a little while. But we can rejoice knowing that he is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Christian, you have a real hope to hope in. You have a real victory to rejoice in. And it's not something you have to earn. It's something he's already won. And and we can rejoice in the once and all final victory of Jesus on the cross over sin and shame and guilt. We have reason to rejoice. Christians should be the most joyful people. This is not a because you are terrible if you aren't. But no, we need to meditate on these joys continuously. But you know what it takes? It takes actually consciously setting aside our natural tendencies. It takes consciously taking our thoughts captive and saying, you know what? We have all these circumstantial reasons that we're down, discouraged, and upset about. But let's tell us ourselves the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about reality. Because what we see seems like it's dominating. But the reality is, is that his kingdom is ruling and reigning, and he has welcomed us into his kingdom. These truths of the reality, the truth of the gospel defines our reality. That's what we rejoice in. We let this truth sink into our head and our hearts and transform our minds. Christians, we're meant to be sober-minded, but not somber. We're meant to be always rejoicing. Because we have the greatest reason for joy of anyone. If there's anyone who has reason for joy, if you're a Christian, you do. You have the most reason for joy. Rejoice in what's objectively true. We take the real concerns, cares, and struggles of life. And we're not ignoring that those exist, but what do we do with that? Well, that, that leads us to the next command, which is linked to rejoicing always, which is pray all the time. Not just rejoice all the time, but pray all the time. Pray all the time. Why? Because there are real concerns, there are real worries, and there are real things in life. So, but instead of us focusing, meditating, trying to fix all those things, instead of worrying about what's going to happen, we can rejoice knowing that actually we have a Father who loves us. We can rejoice in prayer knowing that God, He is able to meet every need. We can rejoice in prayer knowing that God cares about us more than we care. We can rejoice knowing that we are adopted by the Father, and so He hears us as adopted children, and He answers our prayers, not always how we want, but He always answers. And it's always for our good. The problem is is that our minds are constantly going. You know, I'm one of those people that when I go to sleep, I don't have any problems normally going to sleep, but in the middle of the night, if I'm awakened by a noise, all of a sudden, my brain just goes, and it runs. And I don't want it to, but I just start thinking about everything. And I just go a mile a minute, and, and I have to learn how to re- redirect my mind and shut it down, or I have to take it to God in prayer. There's, there's only two options for me, because my mind is just constantly going. Anybody here ever have that happen? It's just, I'm the only one, I guess, right? That Wake up, and I'm like, oh, forget that. I'm not going back to sleep. I have a thousand things in my head now. And sometimes what you have to do is take those things, write them down, offer them up to God in prayer, set them aside, and say, God, I'm going to trust you to take care of those things. Because although you feel like you have to stay up and get things done, God never sleeps. He's constantly aware of your needs, even before you bring them to him. But, but maybe don't wake up in the middle of the night. But, you know, our thoughts are constantly going. We have this inner dialogue or monologue maybe for some of us. We have an inner dialogue that's happening all the time. From one study, they said that over 4,000 words a minute is, is the average dialogue that people have with themselves and they hear. 
I don't know where they got that from, but that seems overwhelming. The average 40-minute sermon is about 4,000 words in comparison, just so you know. That's a lot coming at us. And so why he commands us to rejoice always is because we need to be reminded that we have reason to rejoice. Why he commands us to pray continually is because we need to reorient our thoughts to the one who can do something about them. Because it's very seldom that you're going to solve all your problems. That you're going to fix everything. But there's one who's able and is always listening, always with us. You know, what you tell yourself when you're alone in your own thoughts, it matters. It has an effect. It's actually been scientifically shown that, that the more you meditate on something, if you become anxious about something, it has physiological effects on your body. Worry and anxiety and fear aren't just in your head. They are head things that transfer to physical body things. We're not meant to carry all those things ourselves. We're meant to take those thoughts and turn them over to God, to communicate with him, to talk to him about our cares and concerns. Did you know that God created us to be in communion with him, to, to have a relationship, to talk with him constantly, but that communion was broken by Adam, by sin, and now Jesus came to restore so that we can have communion with God? It's one of the main reasons why we've been saved is so that we can restore back to fellowship and communion with God, relationship with him, and then prayer is, is how we talk. It's how we communicate with God. Because God's always listening. He's always attentive, always aware. He always hears. Instead of being shaped by those thoughts, we're, we're to continually be taking our thoughts to him, praying, laying our hearts out, communicating, talking. You know, back when I was dating Julie and we were living about an hour and a half apart, I used to call her when I was, I don't know how old I was, probably 18. I don't know how originally, 18-ish, something like that, when we were living apart and 1920, and I would call her on the phone, and we would stay up late at night talking, and then right beforehand, just like all the stereotypical things you see, I'd be like, okay, hang up, and she'd be like, no, you hang up, and then I'd say, no, you hang up, and then sometimes we just leave the phone there all night long. I'm sure that really was great for the people who's you know, who wanted to use the phone later. But anyway, we would be there all night long and the phone would just stay connected because I wanted to stay connected with her. I wanted, I, because I loved her and I had a relationship with her, I didn't want to hang up, I didn't want to say goodbye. Here's a really cool thing. The Holy Spirit's always with you. You don't have to say goodbye. He'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. And he wants to be in constant communication and contact. Not out of just duty, but because, but because he's the one who loves us the most. And God actually wants to communicate with us because he loves us. This is not like a mean father saying, talk to me, just tell me everything. No, this is like, hey, tell me about your day. I'd love to hear what your problems are, your worries, your cares, your concerns. And, but the difference is God can do something about that. We cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. He desires that constant contact, praying continually, nonstop, without stopping kind of praying. The question is, what keeps us from praying to God? What keeps us from praying to the only one who's truly able, truly loves us, and truly is able to help? What keeps you from doing that? You ever think about that? You can pray inside your head. You know, now obviously, your coworkers might think you're a little weird if you're always praying out loud. They might think it's a little unusual, but you know, in, in those moments when you have a, a hard thing at work, uh, in those moments when you're struggling, in those moments when you're rejoicing, those moments when you're thinking about all of those 4,000 words a minute that run through your head, you can take those things and just pray them to God quietly, silently. He hears our prayers even when we don't speak them. 
And even when we don't know how to speak, we can do like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, and we can pray with our spirits or pray in the spirit. What keeps you from praying? Do you immediately jump to fix it mode? Is that your default? You have a problem. What's your first reaction? Is it to immediately try to solve it? Or say, wait a minute, I, I want to go to the one who's the ultimate problem solver. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to God. Hey, God, I, I need to solve this problem, but I, I need your help. Other times we think we're too busy to pray and we don't realize that, that God is the one who actually enables us to accomplish anything. So you're not too busy to pray. It's actually not praying makes you busier because it reduces your capacity. It reduces your ability. It, you're denying yourself of, of God in the picture. All the apostles were continually going to God in prayer. That's what's what Paul, all throughout Thessalonians, he, he said in 1 Thessalonians 1 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning our prayers. In 3 10, he says, we pray earnestly night and day, you might see you face to face. In, in 3 11, he says, he prays, now may the God our, and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And then he prays a prayer for them. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another for all as we do for you. May he establish our hearts blameless and holy. So you want to know what to pray? You could pray this, by the way. And he says, to this end, in 2 Thessalonians 1, to this end we also pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of calling, fulfill every desire for goodness and work of faith with power. Prayer is not just a one-time thing, it's, a, it's an open dialogue and communication with God. In good times and bad, when we're sick, when, we're, when we sin, we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I just was impatient, I just, I told a lie, I shouldn't have said that. When we meet with others who are struggling, when we need a friend, Jesus is constantly wanting to communicate with us. He taught us how to pray. I don't have time to, to read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, but you, if you wonder, what, how do I get started? You can, in formal prayers, well, you can do that. But this prayer continually is not formality. This is a ongoing, I need to submit my thoughts to God. I need God's perspective. I need to get out of my myopic view so I can have God's view on things. I need to, in prayer, say that I... I am really nothing and I need God. I need to humble myself and come before the Lord of all creation. I need to reorient my thoughts with these, these things around me seem really big, but God, you are bigger. But what keeps you from prayer? Is it self-reliance? Do you believe that God answers all your prayers? Are you angry at God? What do you need to believe and think about to obey this command? Not only are we, we commanded to rejoice and to pray all the time, we're commanded to give thanks all the time. Give thanks all the time. Now, he doesn't say for everything. Did you notice that? There's a very important little word. It's not for all circumstances. He says give thanks in all circumstances. That's, that's an important distinction because we, we're, not, we're not grateful when bad things happen. No, but in the midst of bad things happening, we can say, God, thank you that even though I don't see it, I know you are at work. Give thanks in all circumstances. All things were created by God through him and for him. It's only right that we say thank you. And in fact, not giving thanks has an effect as well. Paul talks about that in Romans 1.21. He explains how not honoring God and giving thanks, it actually leads people to becoming futile in their thinking. 
and it leads the darkened heart. She says, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't honor him or give thanks to him. But, so because of that, they became futile in their thinking. Did you you know that, that not being aware of God, not giving thanks to him, not honoring him, that leads to futility in our thinking? It leads to darkened hearts. He says their foolish hearts were darkened. But we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? But sometimes we have to, we have to zoom in, right? You ever have to zoom in and say, okay, I have these little things I'm going to be thankful for right now. I, I just walked. I just walked. I just sat down in a chair. I was able to sit. I'm breathing. I'm thinking. I'm able to eat, I'm able to sleep. Whatever those things are that you need to say, okay, what are all these micro things around me that I need to give thanks for? And then we need to zoom out too and say, thank you that this is not all there is, that God, you are overall. And we need to practice that into giving thanks. It requires this con- uh, conscious taking our thoughts, our natural tendencies, and submitting them to God. So it's taking every thought captive, submitting it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, meaning take every thought and say, look, I want to let you know thoughts. You are not accurate. You don't define reality. Jesus defines reality. He is the Lord, and that is what I'm grateful for. That's what I'm thankful for. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In Habakkuk, this is, this is an interesting picture in Habakkuk, that a prophet is saying, even though all these terrible things are bad, we, we, give, we choose to give thanks for what's good. Habakkuk 3.17 says, though the fig tree should not blossom, that's not good, though no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, and that's an agrarian society, by the way, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy, why? In the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I love the story that, that you might have heard of Corrie Tinboom. She was taken prisoner by the Nazis along with her sister Betsy and their entire family. They were hiding Jews behind a false wall in her father's watchmaking shop upstairs where they lived. They were taken to prison to a concentration camp and it was incredibly difficult. And she writes, she says, Barrack 18 was in the quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, was located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. We would stand and often our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling on our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sound stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls that, that she was living in, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. But in the midst of their suffering, they, they found comfort in the Bible and they're wondering, what do we do? In her sister Betsy, she discovered this passage. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. These three little verses. And they made all the difference for Betsy and Corey. Betsy discovered, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. (laughs) Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to give thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me in the dark, at this foul-aired room. And then they thanked God for the fact that they were together. They thank God they had a Bible. They thank God for the horrible crowds of prisoners, that more people would be able to hear God's word. And then Betsy 
something that Corey found pretty repulsive. She thanked God for the fleas. The fleas, this was too much, she writes. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. She says, give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave God thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. (laughs) She might have been a little, I don't know. The reality is it turned out that Betsy was right. The fleas, they were a huge nuisance to them, but they were really a source of huge blessing because what they found was that they were able to have Bible study in their barracks when other women were not able to have Bible studies in their barracks because, and they could have freedom because the supervisors would not come into their barracks because they were so flea infested they didn't want to get the fleas. And so the supervisors wouldn't come in and bother them or harass them and they discovered it was the fleas keeping them out. So Corey says she thanked God for the fleas. We, we can rejoice and pray and give thanks even when facing the worst. Knowing that God is at work. We can, we can see that even in the Last Supper with Jesus with his disciples. He knows what's coming. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. He knows he's about to die on the cross. He knows that he's about to suffer agony. He knows he's about to be separated from God. And it says he took the bread and when he'd given thanks gave thanks in the midst of the worst in his darkest hour but you know in our, our lives we can we can be so aware of the barriers to thanksgiving we can we can believe at times lies that we're owed good things from god we're owed a certain way of god doing things that that we want god to do certain things for us he doesn't so we get angry and so we think you know why would i give thanks to god i'm mad at him if that's you repent we can be unaware of what we really deserve, that we deserve hell. And anything up from hell is better than we deserve. We're not in hell. We have a lot to be thankful for. We deserve hell. We, we're really, we have a lot to be thankful for. Sometimes we're unaware of all God's given us. We can minimize our sin. We can be unaware of God's great forgiveness and his kindness to us. We can be discontent because of comparison. We can fail to to see what we have to be thankful for. But every breath is a gift from God. Every good thing, every moment of knowing Jesus, every time with family and friends, the beauty of creation, the birds singing, new sunrise, being with a church family, being at Renew, I was just so aware last week of this, that's just grateful to God. And then he writes, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All three of these things. This is the will of God. Why is this God's will? Why is, and he's only written this twice in Thessalonians. He says early in Thessalonians that, this, that God's will for you is your sanctification. Now he says God's will for you, your sanctification. Now God's will for you is rejoice, pray, give thanks. You want to know, hey, how do I live the Christian life? What do I do? What does the Christian life look like? What am I supposed to do as a Christian? Pursue sanctification, rejoice, pray, Give thanks. It's not the only things that we can do as Christians, but, but this, it simplifies things, and why does he have us do this? Because he wants us to experience joy. God gives us these commands because he wants us to experience his joy. And, and there's a key to this. At in, in the end of the sentence, in, in verse 18, there's this three little words. Three little words. In Christ Jesus. We can rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances because we're in Christ Jesus. 
Oh, apart from that, there's no reason to give thanks, no reason to pray, no reason to rejoice. But because we're in Christ Jesus, we have reason to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks. Because God's for us and not against us. Because in Christ, no matter what happens to us, we're forever secure in him. Because we're in Christ, no matter what relational difficulty we have, nothing separates us from him. Because we're in Christ, we'll be forever with him, forever in his kingdom, forever in a new heaven and earth. Because we're in Christ, we can pray, we can approach the throne of grace without shame or doubt or fear. Because we're in Christ, we can approach God boldly. Because we belong there because we're in Christ. We can receive mercy and help in our time of need because we're in Christ. We have all the strength available to us that he supplies. Because we're in Christ, he enables us by his grace and his power to do his will. You know, complaining keeps us from enjoying, keeps us from experiencing joy. You know, not praying, it keeps you self-sufficient, keeps you thinking you're self-sufficient when we really aren't. Not giving thanks, it keeps us selfish, self-centered, demanding, critical, and angry. God doesn't give us these commands to make us feel guilty or deficient or to somehow think we earn his favor by them. No, he, he gives us these commands because he wants us to have joy. He wants to supply all of our needs. He wants us to know him and enjoy him, to see all the blessings that we have in him. They're not duties to be heaped upon us. They're commands meant to lead us into delight. So let's delight in being in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would change the way we see these commands. That we wouldn't see them as yet another duty to carry around. But we would see these commands as for our good that we might be transformed. To be filled with joy. To be always rejoicing, full of thanksgiving and in communion with you. And Lord, I, I just can't imagine a, a better way to live. And so Lord, I pray that you would enable me and everyone here to, to have a, a perspective of all the good gifts we have in Christ, that we can rejoice in that. And God, I pray that you would help us see all of those things that we are worried about and that we would be able to bring them to you in prayer, trust in you, rest in you. And God, I pray that you just transform us. Give us your joy. Make us a joyful people, people marked by rejoicing, people marked by prayer, a people marked by thanksgiving, a people who are free from duties but delighting in you. God, may we delight in you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, may God bless you.